Welcome to the MUFG APEC Insights Podcast. The global energy crisis seems to have made a dent in the collective efforts towards global sustainability. How will this affect net zero targets established for 2030 and beyond? In this episode, Matt Fennessy, Head of Global Market Sales for Subsidiary Global Banking Asia, speaks with Haley Orr, Capital Market Strategist from MUFG's New York office, who shares highlights from her latest report on the impact of the global energy crisis on ESG and the future of energy security. The following podcast is for information purposes only. It is intended for professional investors and eligible counterparties and not for retail clients. Any content should not be regarded as an offer to conduct investment businesses or investment recommendations. Welcome to the podcast. I'm joined today by Haley Orr, our capital market strategist from MUFG New York. Haley's joining me in person today in Singapore as she wraps up a week of travel in Australia, New Zealand and Asia meeting with corporate clients to discuss the impact of the energy crisis on ESG and sustainability. So Haley, welcome. Has the global energy crisis dealt a damaging blow to global sustainability and the net zero targets established by companies and countries for 2030, 40 and 50? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here both with you in person today, but also in the region. It's been Absolutely delightful to see our clients back in person in the post-COVID recovery period. As it pertains to the energy crisis that is unfolding in Europe and having implications across the broader global economy, the, the short answer is yes, you're seeing a reversion back to old economy fuels, a reversion back to the use of coal, a 50% increase in the uh, imports of LNG into the European Union, the reversion back to nuclear in places like Germany with the European Union adding nuclear to their green taxonomy. So it would be very easy to look at this and say, ESG has taken a major blow. Sustainability has taken a major blow. But I would caution that that's not the full story. While we have seen the production of coal in the European Union increase 15% in the first half of this year, mind you, that is after a 79% decrease over the preceding 30-year period, we have also seen a rededication to renewable energy targets in the European Union, again, at the same time that they are using coal and LNG and nuclear to get through this crisis in the short term, they have also said that their renewable energy targets, their mix of energy, will be 45% renewable energy by 2030, rather than 40%, which was their previous target. So what you are seeing now from a country perspective is that renewables are no longer just thought of as a tool to achieve sustainability goals. They're also crucial to this idea of achieving energy security and energy independence. And this crisis that is unfolding in Ukraine, which will last for longer than we had initially expected, last for longer than many 
had been anticipating, this idea of energy security has become paramount. And so we're seeing renewables have a renewed role in that process. As it pertains to the individual targets of companies and countries, I would suggest from a country perspective, you're seeing this reacceleration. But from a company perspective, you still see the commitment to targets. You have seen an unprecedented number of companies signing on to the TCFD, to the science-based target initiative. So it varies quite a bit by industry. What all of these targets have in common is that they are heavily reliant on technology and technological developments. The technology is out there. There's quite a bit of work to be done around refining that technology, taking it out of the idea phase, the beta testing phase, and bringing it into the actionable phase. It needs to be made more affordable and more scalable. And those are the things that are happening right now. But companies remain dedicated to this, investors remain dedicated to this, and countries remain dedicated to this topic. So you referenced Russia and Ukraine in your previous uh, answer there, but the first half of 2022 has indeed brought a commodities boom, and many analysts expect this to be the start of a commodity super cycle. So my question is, how have investor views on ESG changed to incorporate both sustainability and performance objectives? Sure. And, and I want to highlight here the work of my colleague, Asan Kaman, who is based in Dubai, and he's done tremendous analysis on this topic of the commodity supercycle and how ESG's acceleration, somewhat counterintuitively, plays into the idea of a longer-term commodity supercycle. What I would say is that we are seeing investors who have a fiduciary responsibility to seek return for their clients, we are seeing them adopt this all-in approach to ESG investing. When you think about the pool of capital that is available for sustainable investment, it is massive. I'll use the US here as an example, but this trend is true throughout different regions. If you look at the growth rate between 2018 and 2020, there's been a 42% increase in sustainable AUM, AUM dedicated to sustainable investment strategies. So that number is now, or as of 2020, was 17 trillion. We don't have the 2022 data yet, but if you look at the monthly flows of capital, you are still seeing consistent inflows into sustainable investment funds. There is still a commitment and a dedication to sustainable investment. But you are seeing this all-in approach being taken, and, and you see this in many ways. What I would say is that we have seen investors in many regions adopt what we would call this best-in-class uh, methodology of investing, meaning they have complex models that take into account numerous factors of E, S, and G, and then they delineate those models to determine the best-in-class assets across various sectors, including the hard-to-abate sectors. So while the commodity boom has certainly altered this 
ESG outperformance story that we've heard over the years, when you look at the data, you still actually see outperformance in some of these best-in-class ESG players or some of the players in the hard-to-abate sectors who have solid sustainability strategies that are credible and that investors can get behind. You are seeing record levels of investor engagement as it pertains to ESG. If you look at the proxy season in the U.S. in 2022, there were a record number of proposals that pertained to ESG topics put forward. The number of those proposals that got yes support over 50%, so the number of proposals that were passed declined from 2021, but you're still seeing that engagement. You're still seeing shareholders who want to take an active role in guiding companies on an ESG enforced topic. So this is something that is still very important to the investor base and still important to the corporate base. So in the past four to five years, the ESG regulatory dynamic has certainly accelerated rapidly. Um, So are there hurdles on the horizon that could change that trajectory? Absolutely. I think we have seen from the current energy crisis that is happening, this is not a straight line from here to net zero 2050. We've known for a long time, not only the technological hurdles that are put in place, but also the distribution of capital into this topic. The capital is out there. The capital pool, as I've said, dedicated to this topic is massive, but the investment needed is also massive. So so let me start in in the U.S. here. In the U.S., we have the midterm elections coming up in November, and then after that, two years later, we will have another general election where President Biden will be up for election. And it is possible, it is far too early to prognosticate, but it is possible that we have a Republican in the White House and we have a Republican Congress in the future. And in that case, depending on who the candidates are, the platforms that they run on, you could certainly see changes to the regulatory dynamic in the U.S. In the U.S., we have passed the Inflation Reduction Act through Congress. President Biden signed that in August. It was a landmark piece of legislation as it pertains to climate and the investment needed in energy-efficient technologies. But President Biden has also done the vast majority of the climate agenda via the regulatory channel. And if a new president comes into office, that president will have the ability to put in place a whole new set of regulators. And what the agendas of those regulators will be is not yet clear to us. What I will say, though, is that the momentum of the last four to five years is not something that we expect to halt abruptly. So you could see changes to the regulatory dynamic. You could see changes to the political dynamic. But you still have a commitment to this from the investor side, from the individual side, and from the employee side. And corporates have done a phenomenal ability on a global horizon to continue the momentum of this topic despite differing and changing regulatory dynamics. So we do expect that momentum to continue. 
The other thing that I would mention on this topic, and I mentioned before, the financing that is needed for this. At COPE26, one of the major topics that was discussed was this idea of financing the energy transition. You have a divide between advanced economies and emerging economies where many emerging economies have relatively uh, small emissions relative to advanced economies like the United States. And yet those smaller economies are bearing the brunt of a lot of this climate change and a lot of the damaging effects of climate change. And so the question comes up very naturally, who is funding this transition? And I think we'll see this topic be one of the primary focus areas of the next COPE, COPE 27. And we will see this idea of emerging economies seeking advanced economies to uh, tell them or to, to provide the capital that is necessary to really make this energy transition a just one. There are a lot of challenges ahead. This is by no means a straight line from here to 2050. But we do think that the momentum that has built over the last several years will continue. And this mega trend will continue to be a topic we are discussing for many years ahead. I can't disagree with you there. Well, Haley, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I just want to remind our listeners that uh, our team uh, publishes frequently on, on the ESG topic. So please reach out to your MUFG sales representative if you're looking for, for more content on this subject. But for now, we'll, uh, we'll say thank you and best of luck with the rest of your trip, Haley. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the MUFG APEC Insights podcast. This episode is available on Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Rate, review, and subscribe, and reach out to an MUFG sales representative for business inquiries.